and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-commerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today we're here with Emma from Riffraff Sleep Toys. Emma Kruger is the founder and CEO of Riffraff Sleep Toys, the company behind Australia's most popular sleep toys for babies and toddlers, the Riffraff Sleep Toy. Prior to Riffraff, Emma served as a human resources professional within the public health sector, but her love for problem solving coupled with her natural creativity led her to create Riffraff Sleep Toys' first product, perfectly sized and washable sleep toy for little ones. The sleep toys have been a resounding success with over 100,000 toys sold to date and thousands of testimonials. Dedicated to fostering raving fan culture, Riffraff Sleep Toys was thrilled to win the 2019 Aurea People's Choice Small Business Award. In today's episode, she shares her process of coming up with the business idea, the genius way they get new customers, even in the early days, and her tips around growing a team. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 25. Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Today, we are here with Emma from Riff Raff Sleep Toys. Welcome, Emma. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell us a little bit about how Riff Raff Sleep Toys started. Yeah, um, so it really started with me looking to start my own business. So I was working in human resources for a really big public hospital in Melbourne. I'd had my first child and I'd had my second child in close succession and I really wasn't looking forward to going back to the workforce in a traditional sense. I'd always wanted to have my own business, but I really, even from a really young age, but I'd never really been inspired and really even knew my industry. But as I had children, I could really feel that e-commerce itself sort of presented a lot of opportunity and a lot of flexible lifestyle, which was super appealing to me. It took a long time to get the idea. It took a lot of dedication, but essentially once I landed on the idea, the rest is history. That was it. Amazing. So tell us a little bit about how you actually started the business. Obviously, I think I've read somewhere you were on holiday, going on holiday somewhere. Like (laughs) give us like from idea to like conception, sort of how did that process go? Yeah, that was, that was, it was really hectic. The actual, the moment that the idea of the riffraff sleep toy came to me. So I'd been working in quite a dedicated manner on sort of idea creation. I was really fixated in wanting to create a product of value. Mm -hmm. So it was really, I would look around, I was like, wow, there's just people selling rubbish everywhere. And I don't want to be part of that. I want to be able to make something that is of value. So I've been quite fixated and I was going through a lot, a big creative process and quite honestly, just coming up with lots of bad ideas. It's part of the journey though. (laughs) It is, it is. And I read this really amazing book. It's called The Idea Machine and it was super instrumental in really making sure that I took the time to really formulate the idea process. Like it wasn't going to be this aha moment. It takes a lot of bad ideas to come up with a good idea. Anyway, the good idea hadn't came and I'd been on holiday with the family in Bali and we came back with the most horrific gastro. Like it was next level. (laughs) And I was the last one in the family to get it, of course, because that's what happens with mums. Essentially, I had like crazy fever, like 40-degree fever. I was up in my bedroom and in this fever, It had come to me because during my daughter's sickness, she had spewed all over this like precious toy that she'd associated with sleep. Mm. 
that wasn't able to be easily washed. And it just sort of hit me like a light bulb and like literally. And from that moment, I could not stop thinking about this. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. not the not the gastro part. No. <laughs> I've never been amazing. so thankful for gastro. <laughs> you hear so many business stories where it is, oh, I just had this miraculous idea out of nowhere and look at me now with my super successful business. I love that you were actually in a process of, no, I want to start a business. I'm going to come up with as many bad ideas as I can until I find something that's good. Like you still yeah. kind of had that moment where you came up with the idea but it wasn't just a random out of the blue wasn't thinking about it kind of moment it was a very well planned structured thought out moment and I think that's really inspiring because a lot of people want to start businesses and they think they have to just wait for some miracle and you don't you can kind of work on it by making lots of really bad ideas until you come up with a good one I had a bit of a timeline which was quite funny like my my husband that's me was very very supportive but financially, we actually needed to make some decisions. And so I had a timeline to work to, which I think was the best thing ever because it made me treat it like a job. And I, that's what I was doing. I was treating the creative process of like the ideation as a job and was working on it every day. And I made a little goal that I would write down at least five ideas a day. And I, um, I look back at them now and some of them are pretty silly. It's true, like the I, the one that, that hit came to me, but it was only because I'd been in that mindset for, it was a couple of months. Yeah, and I think that's what they say about brains too. Like if you give them a project to work on and you're constantly sort of thinking about it, it'll come to you when you're not thinking about it. But if you weren't <laughs> thinking about it, that's it's not going to work. Totally, I agree. Uh, so obviously starting a new business is never easy, but how did you get your first customers? Yeah, so I think my timing was really lucky, but in saying that, I think that it absolutely could be replicated today. I say that I'm lucky because I started this in like what we call like the Facebook heyday. So Uh, you could actually spend money and get like exponential returns without too many tricks or anything, which nowadays is is basically impossible and I wouldn't suggest (laughs) that's how you start. I guess so, yeah, so I ordered a small number because I only had limited finances. I knew exactly what my break-even point was, which gave me confidence to be able to do it. I was like, well, as long as I sell X amount, I've made my money back and I'm not a complete failure. (laughs) And then essentially it was back in the day, so it was really friends, family. I had some amazing people, my husband's friends and a few other people and my dear friends that really supported me with those first few purchases. And then organic socials, believe it or not, <laughs> which is hard nowadays. But I think the real tipping point though was the follow-up that I was able to. So making contact with these first customers, getting their reviews, using their reviews and being really, really deliberate about making sure that their experience was next level from the very start. I think that's amazing because that that does translate. It doesn't matter whether you're going organic on Facebook or, I mean, nowadays TikTok's kind of having its heyday and Instagram reels and things still sort of get you that sort of reach, although it's not as good as what Facebook used to be. Yeah. But that strategy works anywhere. It doesn't matter no. what you're Absolutely. using. Absolutely. 
No, and I mean, it's been a huge premise for our for our whole business. You know, we're still obsessed with the customer journey and making sure that people love our product and in return, hopefully love our brand. And it doesn't cost a lot to do that. And that was the amazing thing. I had no money. There was no paid media at that stage for me. But, you know, I managed to score these first 10, 15, 20 sort of sales and then nurtured them. The other thing that was really amazing and was implemented right at the start was our referral program. And that has not really stopped being a major part of our marketing pie. Tell me a little bit more about the referral program. Yeah. So the referral program basically implemented right away because it was very low cost for me. And I knew being a mum myself, the one way that mum, you know, sometimes the only way to get a mum over the line of purchasing a product is from validation from friends, people who have actually used the product, because there's a lot of products to buy in that category. And you really need to know that the one that you're buying is good value or, or does the job it says it's going to do. And so really early, I knew that that was a way that I could leverage more customers and bring people into our community. So essentially I was prepared to give away back then I think it was a, you know it was a toy which which is not cheap so this that's $65 in value to a customer if they could have four successful referrals back then. Amazing. And um, it was successful right from the start. I was getting amazing referrals to other people right away. Yeah, and it would be Although it's kind of incentivized, it would still be quite organic because people are not going to refer something they don't like. So there's yes. a lot of power in that. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, that's right. You don't want another toy unless you like the product. So the fact that they were being rewarded with the product sort of meant intrinsically it means that, yeah, the referral had a lot of power. Yeah, I love that. That's very, very clever. So obviously you've grown a lot from those first, you know, 10, 15, 20 orders. Tell us a little bit about how the business has changed and grown over the years. Six years is a long time. (laughs) It's a long time. It's grown beyond my dreams, to be honest. When I started this, I was when I was getting my husband over the line to do something that I'd never designed a product before in my life or sold anything. You know, I said to him, you know, all I want to be able to do is help pay for the family holidays and then I'll I'll consider I'll consider it a success. You know, it was just really about like for me just have being able to be creative and and hopefully earn a little bit of money. And now, you know, I look at what it is now and it's a it's a community. So an amazing team that I get to work with and even more amazing community out there amongst our Riffraff fans. And um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to believe, to be honest. So, yeah, essentially, so the team has grown a lot. So it started as me and then, you know, that really slow employ a couple of friends because you're really busy. And then but we're at the stage now where we're making really, really sort of deliberate recruits now to really specific positions targeting growth in certain areas, which is really great. We're developing more products, which are soon to be released we're big enough, like, you know, we have we do fun things together as staff. We also do charitable campaigns wherever we can. And we just donated $11,000 to Corumban Wildlife Sanctuary. And we're fundraising for Miracle Babies this weekend. So, yeah, we've really taken on a, a new life, to be honest. It's amazing. Is there like a, or was there a tipping point between that sort of small business selling to friends and family to sort of where it is now? Is it just kind of like a snowball of growth 
<laughs> for us, it was really a snowball of growth because quite honestly, you know, one of our biggest challenges during the, these last few years has been supply. And some of that is just sheer growth, like exponential growth, but also me probably not having the right talent in place to be able to handle that. So, like, it was me, for example. <laughs> and, you know, and it was amazing. Like, all of a sudden, you know, you don't realise that 20 or 30% a year growth, you don't, unless you're really trained or experienced in it, it was a really big shock for me, the implications on inventory. And so, you know, we stopped out a few times or we had to scale back sales to try and manage inventory while we're waiting for more stock and things like that. So there's certainly been a lot of challenges. I think the tipping point for us was probably when I realised that I it was way bigger than me. And for me to really give it the legs that it deserves, I need to get out of the way and I need to employ the right people in the right roles. And since doing that, it's been a lot more fun too. <laughs> it is, it's such an important part of like, and it's so hard to, to like relinquish that control when it's been yours <laughs> for so long, but it's such an important part of business. You can't do everything. No. And I was learning very fast that like there were times that I was quite stressed and, and not really enjoying my role. And I could just see, like, I was letting people down, you know, in my own way, like the staff that were trying their best and customers wanting to buy. And I was like, that's your flag, really. If you're not able to meet demand and you're not keeping people happy, then you need to find a way to pivot so that you can. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, growing a team is a, a big mission. Have you got any tips or lessons on how you sort of managed growing that team? I know it's something a lot of people struggle with in terms of like how to pick yeah. the right person, how to make sure that role you hire for first is the right role to hire for? Yeah, I think one of the most important things when I look at our team now, so I think we're 18 or 19 now, uh, and not all full-time, like we have a lot of part-time because we offer, because we're quite obsessed with acknowledging that parents can also be really highly valued employees. We have a lot of part-time employees as well. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing that's really always done us well with recruiting, and I've got to say, like, we have done really well. Like, every now and again, we miss the mark. And it's like, oops, you know, got to do that one again. But but rarely. And yeah. our employees have been with us for such a long time. Like, I mean, I've got people with me right from the start still. And I think the thing that's probably done us well is probably recruiting to our cultural fit. Yeah has been a priority, so not over sheer talent and experience, but with it in the highest consideration because we do have a very unique culture. We work remote before COVID. I work part-time and very strange hours because I love being available for my family and, and I, for the horses. And there's several people within the company that does that. And so if, if you're not okay with that, then you're not a good fit for us. And same with like, same with the customer experience. Like if you're not okay with making decisions on the fly, putting the customer first, knowing that and making the leap and knowing that you're not going to get in trouble from us if you say the wrong thing, as long as the customer is coming out first, if you can't make that leap without too much hand-holding, you're also probably not the right person. You know, so we've been really good with our interviewing and just making sure that we try and, yeah, get the fit, the fit right first pretty much. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a team and everyone kind of has to 
be on the, the same track. Yep. Yeah, otherwise it just doesn't work. You know, people aren't happy and, like, to have unhappy people at work, it's just, it's the worst, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Like, you can feel the vibe. It's just like, no, 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 this isn't yeah. working. <laughs> Thankfully, I've also been very lucky with my hires and everyone enjoys being there. I cannot imagine working with people who weren't happy to be there. No. It would be horrid. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so something we like to ask is obviously your business has grown so much, there'd be a lot of organic kind of momentum, but are there any strategies that you're using to reach new customers now that are working particularly well for you? We still use paid media. Yeah. We just especially, I think it's hard for businesses, not hard, but it's a challenge for businesses that maybe started when we did sort of five plus years ago, who went through the heyday of paid media with Facebook and Instagram, and then to see sort of change and update and change and update and your ROAS is like, you know, it's not even in the same planet as what it used to be on. So I think there's a lot of mental realignment that goes on there. On the upside, though, I think it's like it's forced all of our hands to really diversify into other channels, which is awesome. As far as new, yeah, I mean, I still like paid media, you know, Instagram and Facebook for top of funnel and awareness. We did have a little play on TikTok not yes. so yeah not totally loving it for our brand at the moment but but we're prepared to keep what we are really interested in is more influencer type of arrangements in the space rather than actually you know it's not for me it's not the right place for product like chucking product down people's throat I think just like more of your playful product placement is probably the angle that we're going there we're definitely doing a lot more B2B. So Calms on our team is working quite a lot on other sort of um, other partnerships um, and affiliate arrangements with other businesses that live within our brand. So that's actually a pretty big focus for us in the next 12 months. And then, you know, of course, you know, EDM for me is pretty much always going to be king. So we're very obsessed with our EDM our flows, our retaining customers and things like that. So while new customers are important, retaining customers, um, it's almost more important for us. Yeah, amazing. How do you manage the retaining customers in a space where you sell things for people with babies? Like there's like yeah. a lifetime that people will have babies and it's normally, you know, a couple of years. Obviously, then they have friends, which I suppose is where the referral comes in. But do you have any specific strategies around that? Yeah, we do. Well, at the moment, so we've got a really big focus on increasing, yeah, being able to provide more products to that audience, a little bit more growing up with the with the customer and their child that they've purchased for will be important for us going forward. So, you know, we only basically have, you know, five SKU essentially of our major key products. So the fact that we can actually be able to retain such a high number is quite remarkable, really. I agree, though. I think what's really important, though, is that babies are always being born, and that's what makes it such an incredible market. Definitely, there's a period, especially when their little ones grow up and they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to hear about sleep toys. I'm way out of that. And they'll disappear for a little while. It is only a matter of time until they're either becoming aunties or friends or those sort of things. So they might disappear for a little while. And we definitely are very conscious to not bug people while they seem to be quiet. But every now and again, we'll give a reactivation prompt and just sort of be like, hey, do you need us again now? <laughs> Anyone who's a baby like 12 months type of thing. You know, if they're not opening, we don't keep bugging them. 
the idea is give them a break and see if we can offer them something later. That's a very clever way of doing it because obviously if they're not engaging, they're probably at a point in life where they're not interested anymore. But yep. the fact that you keep kind of, hey, just checking in is really yeah, clever. Especially if we have something really good to offer, like we never really go on sale. Well, we never go on sale and things, but if we have our famous NQR sale or if we have a new product release, it needs to be something really juicy to annoy those people again. Yeah. And I suppose, I mean, babies take nine, ten months, so every 12 months is probably a good time to... <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, maybe, yeah, exactly. It's not like we have three-month gestation periods and it's, you know, you need to follow up a bit more regularly. They've, they've got exactly. some time in there. <laughs> exactly. Oh, fantastic. So just something that I'm generally curious about and I know a lot of other people are, that initial design prototype phase, how was that? You know, obviously that's a, a really big learning curve. Have you got any kind of tips or lessons you can share around that? Yeah, I do, definitely. <laughs> it was pretty, that was a really interesting and challenging part of the whole puzzle. You know, like I, I literally had never designed anything before in my life and I was trying to do it overseas and I was trying to do it with no budget. And I think it made me really savvy though, like not being able to spend any money on the process. And it's made me, yeah, a bit better person, a better designer because of it. I guess, you know, for me, it was really, it was really just about just being really patient with the sample process is probably the one thing that I would recommend. You pretty much have to start with a really wide net. So even now when we're looking for new manufacturers, the net is so wide and that it, it basically will fill up in an email inbox every 24 hours. Like that's how many manufacturers you, we start with. And then we slowly but surely cull down. So that process can take just that process of narrowing down to three or four manufacturers that you might actually want to progress with a physical sample. Even that can take a month, I would say. So really understanding exactly how long it can take to get each part of, you know, that process, that design process done. Being clear on the outset can really just help you stay steady during the journey and not sort of get frustrated and throw the towel in. Yeah, I think that's really encouraging because I think a lot of people start businesses and they go through it and they just, like, even me, I would assume that it's a much easier process. But to hear that someone who's had the success that you have and even now you still go through that process and you still cast the net that wide and it still takes that long I think that's really encouraging like I think a lot of people are like oh it was so easy I just did this and I think it's good yeah. to hear that it actually doesn't it's not that easy it does take time yeah and I actually think it's almost the opposite like at the start when I when I first started with the first manufacturer and the first you know batch of toys one they're different suppliers than they are now but, you know, I probably, retrospectively, I probably didn't actually go wide enough. I didn't know really what questions to ask. Now I know, and me and the team, we go wide now. Like, we go really wide. We ask lots of questions, the right questions now, which takes time, you know, to understand what they are and work backwards, you know. So I think that's something that we actually learn in hindsight. Like, we should ask more people these questions. Who else is out there? And just dig deeper at the start. So then you've really got the confidence to go forward when you when you think, oh wow, like this one's a standout. Like I'm really feeling a connection. Let's let's take them over. Yeah, amazing. Is there anything you wish you'd done or known in the early days of your business that would make growing now easier? Oh, 
Yes, let me think. <laughs> There's lots. <laughs> I would say probably one of my biggest missed opportunities was just really having a, a growth, like a success mindset at the start. So I think I spent, I literally spent the first two or three, maybe even three years, just really not even believing that it was happening. And because of that, yeah, I just basically, I never had enough stock. I was too scared to recruit to all these, to these wonderful positions that should have been recruited to earlier. You know, honestly, I expected it to just fail any minute. I was like, no, any minute something's going to happen and it's a disaster. And it was really funny. It really held me back, actually. And it was only once I sort of really was prepared to be like, all right, like, I'm going to give this a proper go. Like, I'm not scared of failing anymore that I could make those big decisions, the ones that require commitment, like bringing on full-time valuable employees and buying more stock than you need, anticipating growth, you know, and those sort of things. Like I wish I could have done that earlier, but for me that was just the journey that I, I had to take. Now we're there, thank goodness. <laughs> Better late than never. Fantastic. I think sometimes our brains are our, our worst enemies at some point, but it's good that we can we can get through those things. And, you know, you've obviously grown to be quite successful now, which is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, we got there in the end and, you know, we're having more fun now. You know, I'm having more fun with the team and with the product and things than I, than I ever had. And so if it was all to end tomorrow, you know, my mindset's changed now. It's like, well, you know, realistically, product-based businesses, you know, they don't always last forever unless you can hopefully transfer into a bit of a classic, which is what we would obviously love to do. But if it did all end tomorrow, I could honestly say right now, you know, we've been giving it a real nudge this last little bit and especially in the 12 months, this next 12 months, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I could put this to bed knowing we really gave it a really good shot, whereas earlier I actually had a niggling feeling of the opposite. I was like, oh, I never went hard enough. I never took the chances that I should have done. But now we're there. That's amazing. I love that. Before we finish up, is there anything you think we've missed? Anything that you think you can share? Oh, you want to cover it? Any big no, lessons? I mean, I think, no. I mean, the only thing I could say is I think just e-commerce still, you know, I'm quite passionate about e-commerce and especially like the direct-to-consumer experience and I think that it still provides and it's got an amazing opportunity for people and I just really encourage people especially women especially women with families or other people that might require a more flexible lifestyle for one reason or another you know it's an amazing industry to get into and I think you can learn it all for free essentially you know through amazing resources like this or attending the conferences you know they cost a couple hundred dollars to attend they're they're amazing you get to listen to, to the most successful people in the industry and yeah I just think you know go for it essentially ah, fantastic I, I mean I work with e-commerce businesses and seeing the growth that these businesses have and talking to businesses like yourselves is just so inspiring and it's I agree e-commerce is such a, a wonderful market to be in yes yeah, I mean, you get to connect. I mean, I think the reason why I just love like the D2C space so much is you just, you get to provide something for a customer. Like you get to connect with a customer in a way that you just cannot do any other way, essentially. You get to know them intimately and they get to know you. And it's such a rewarding experience. It's not just sales. 
And, um, you know, and the whole team, you know, we just really thrive on that. And so I'm a really big, you know, obviously marketplace will play a small role for us coming up overseas. But, you know, I get asked a hundred times, would you go bricks and mortar? Would you consider that, you know, that sort of thing? I'm just like adamantly no, because this is what we all love doing. We love being able to connect with each and every customer the way that we do. And it's what makes us who we are. It's so wonderful. I love it. So we're just going to get into the last couple of questions we ask everyone. Yes. Uh, do you have any strategies or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track? Oh, yes, that is a good question as well. Yes, I have a pretty busy sort of household, which I, which I do thoroughly enjoy, but because of that, it's routine is super important for me. So I pretty much start out my day every day walking my beautiful dogs and listening to a podcast, uh, and that really sort of sets me in the right mind frame for the rest of the day and then I basically really pick out my really productive hours and go like crazy during that so for me I'm a morning person and so basically I will very very rarely have anything personal come up between the hours of so like eight and one and so I do really good work during that time and then I leave some space at the end for the sort of more you know less productive but I really go hard in the hours where I I can really get some remarkable stuff done. Wonderful. On that note, your favourite podcast? Our favourite, favourite, all time would probably have to be How I Built This by NPR. Such a good podcast. (laughs) I swear I have listened to every episode that was ever made of that podcast. I'm actually waiting for them to release the new season. It must be soon. I just find though his tales, the way he interviews and the people that he interviews are just so inspirational. Wonderful. And do you have a favourite business book? Oh, yes. I would have to be, without doubt, it would have to be The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which is basically the book that changed everything for me. Yeah. I really love him as a whole. Like I think he's a really, really interesting guy and it's a podcast I listen to a lot. But that book, if anybody needs a mindset change, I can't recommend that book enough. It's fantastic. It's just such a good, like most people probably aren't going to get to the point where they're only working four hours a week. But to be able to see that it's possible and you don't have to work full-time hours or crazy, you know, you don't have to do the quote-unquote hustle just to be successful, I think is such a, a really important thing for businesses. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like I found it really interesting because it's very, we go to school in this very particular education system where we're told a lot of our lives that there's one way to earn money and one way to work, you know, and that sort of thing. And I just find this book, whether you're actually interested in following, you know, trying to work four hours a week or not, but this book is the antidote to just being able to just take the blinkers off a little bit and just be like, hang on, not everybody works nine to five, Monday to Friday. So what are these people doing? So I think it's an amazing book. 10 out of 10 agree. And tell us about how people can visit you. And I believe you have a special offer for our listeners. Yeah, we'd love to offer the listeners 15% off any of our products. So that's one of the highest codes that we offer. So I'd love to see some new people take take it up. So uh, RED15, I'll send that over to you. And um, add that to the, the show notes. Yeah, awesome. And just enter that at checkout there. You can find us, as I said, exclusively only online. <laughs> if you just search up Riff Raff Sleep Toys, it'll take you right there. Fantastic. And we'll put all that in the, the show notes if people are struggling to spell, but it's it's 
yes. pretty easy to find even if you spell it yeah. wrong. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Oh, no, thank you. It's been great. I hope to chat again soon. Me too. Thank you for listening to the 25th episode of the Bright Minds of E-Commerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at www.brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 25. The link will also be in the episode description.